All right, if you want to open up to Isaiah chapter 9, Christmas Eve, 1906, there was a man named Reginald Fezzedin, who later was called the father of radio, that sent a Morse code to a ship that was in the Atlantic Ocean. And the message said, be prepared for something of great interest to follow. So everyone on the ship gathers everyone and says, we have a message coming They say it's going to be great, it's going to be interesting. And as they all sat around and waited for the next message to come, what they didn't hear was another beeping of a Morse code, but a human voice. And the human voice was Reginald Fezzedin on Christmas Eve, reading the Christmas story out of Luke chapter 2. And after he read from Luke 2, he played on violin the old Christmas hymn, O Holy Night. History was made that night, for this was the first time a voice and a song had ever been played on the radio. The people on the boat fascinated. This must have felt like something angelic, something heavenly that was coming across the radio airwaves. Had never heard such a thing. The first song that was ever played on the radio was this old Christmas hymn, O Holy Night. O Holy Night's uh, not just my favorite song, but or favorite Christmas song, but probably my favorite song. And this song has unbelievable history. And I think that this song is so popular throughout the last 150 years or so because the message resonates with people. And the message resonates with people uh, because it's the, the, it's the Christmas message. This Christmas message resonates with people. Here are the, the words from O Holy Night. We'll just go through, through some of them. Uh, but it says, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of my dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. What beautiful and poetic words. It was actually written by a drunk French poet back in 1847. Uh, The music was composed by a Jewish man uh, who probably didn't even believe Jesus was divine. This song was then translated into English by an American abolitionist right before the Civil War, and it just took off. It became so popular. These words, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. This message of, of hope in the midst of weariness, rejoicing for something in the future. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The song resonates with people in the midst of weariness. The story of Christmas is people rejoicing in the midst of weariness. Uh, It's a message that it feels especially on point this year, 2020. I don't know about you, I feel the weariness. I feel the exhaustion, I feel the oppressive weight of what has gone on this year. And it's interesting because for most of history, this is the human experience. We've lived in a time that has been relatively sheltered. And this year reminds us how fragile life is, how uncertain the future is. A weary world rejoices this message of of the Christian hope. This is a season called Advent, which means 
an anticipation or an arrival of a person, a thing, or an event. And the message of Christmas is rejoicing in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our weariness, because God is on the move. This is a, a message that has gone on from the first Christmas as we look in the gospel stories, but really even much earlier than that. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 9, there's, there's a, 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 the Christmas theme is, is, is emerging in the, some 700 years before the life of Jesus. Some have called Isaiah the fifth gospel writer, and he writes something that is picked up on later as, as him telling this story, this weary world rejoices. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of the Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Bunch of names right there. A people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil of war. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from the time forth and evermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. These old words that oftentimes are nostalgic with Christmas, everlasting father, prince of peace, wonderful counselor, mighty God. But this passage is grounded in weariness. Isaiah starts, as we started reading, that there will be gloom for her who was in anguish. The former time had brought contempt. Gloom, anguish, contempt. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali. What in the world is going on here? There is a darkness, something that is oppressive. What's the story going on? Well, when Isaiah is writing, his people have been conquered, were being conquered, had been conquered, and it goes back to the Assyrians. Remember how we just went through Jonah about a month ago? Those pesky Assyrians. Pesky is probably too soft of a word. Those who capital in Nineveh, they come out, they're conquering uh, the northern kingdom. Well, this place, Zebulun and Naphtali, the, the place of Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee, the Galilee of the nations, uh, just so happened to always be like in the crosshairs of these foreign empires. And for at this moment, it's the Assyrians. And what would happen is in the Bronze Age and into the Iron Age, every time this powerful empire from the east came over the Fertile Crescent, the first people, and they were going to invade Israel, the first people they'd run into, the first area that they would run into was this area around the Galilee. This is the old land of the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun, and 
And what would happen is, it, almost like in World War II, they would be like set up like Belgium. Remember like in World War I, World War II, France would set up all these fortifications and Germany would just go bypass them, come down from the north through Belgium. Like this is happening every time Israel gets invaded. And the people that take the brunt of the attack are the, 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 the people that are up here in Galilee, the old land of the Zebulun and Naphtali. And for them, because of this constant attack, a lot of them are displaced. A lot of foreign nations move in. Uh, this is why it's called Galilee of the Nations. These people had dealt with this oppressive darkness, this experience of being conquered, of uncertainty, of political upheaval and turmoil. The picture of them is walking in darkness. It's the same idea that is found in Psalm 23 the valley of the shadow of death, the experience of the people in Galilee can be compared to a person who faces just the anguish of death. Anguish, gloom, contempt, despair. This is what these people are experiencing over and over again. It was a groundswell of suffering. And when Isaiah writes about what God is doing he centers it on this groundswell of suffering, these people at the sea around Galilee, and talks about their experience of despair. Uh, oftentimes in my sermons, I quote a non-religious source, one of my favorite podcasters, his name is Dan Carlin. Uh, he is a history podcaster, has a podcast called Hardcore History that my friend Michael Buckmaster got me addicted to. I love his storytelling. Uh, but he recently wrote a book called The End is Always Near. That sounds hopeful, right? The end is always near. And in this book, he traces back for the last 3,000 years how every civilization, every empire, every kingdom thinks that they're just invincible. And what happens? They get hit by plagues and violence and wars and economic uncertainty and political upheaval and natural disasters. And then every group, when it happens to them, they think that their moment is unique. And it's this reminder of the human experience throughout history is an experience of suffering, an experience of despair and uncertainty. Sometimes it's hard to think about as we move through 2020, because if you're like me, I'm 38 years old, I haven't been around for very long. Um, this is probably the most difficult year of my life. For a lot of you, might be similar. I remember for, for me, like 07, 08, that was tough for economic reasons. This is tough for all sorts of other reasons. And it, and it feels, we feel the moment. It feels unique. And then you start to read through history and you're reminded of all these different stories of people outside of the American experience throughout history who experience plagues, political upheaval, violence, turmoil. Romans 8 talks about how all creation groans like the pains of a childbirth, subject to decay. 2020 for us is uh, something that has woken us up to, oh yeah, life is fragile. There's great suffering in this world. 2020, it seems like we're having this Romans 8 or this Isaiah 9 type experience. For you, you may have suffered the loss of loved ones this year. You may have lost... the Experienced loss of jobs, loss of dreams, loss of plans. For your children, loss of educational experiences, loss of community experiences, which we probably felt last week with Thanksgiving. It feels like something has been taken from us. 
There's an experience of loss that feels oppressive. There's an experience of uncertainty that feels heavy. The weary world. And in this Christmas song, we're reminded that the weary world rejoices. The world Jesus was born into was weary, exhausted, uncertain, suffering. As we read through this passage in Isaiah, as we read through the Christmas story of the Advent, we are reminded that we're able to rejoice in the midst of weariness because rejoicing isn't grounded in our present circumstance. It's grounded in the yonder breaking dawn, that God is on the move. Here in Isaiah, there's this reminder that in the midst of the people who are walking in this darkness, this oppression, they're able to rejoice because God is on the move. In fact, for the Christmas story, I would say God came first, and this is what this story reminds us. God came first to where his people suffered most. If Galilee is this groundswell of suffering throughout history, God comes first to where his people suffer most. We see this in the life of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. He picks up on this language of Isaiah when he's just starting his ministry and what he's all about. It says in chapter 4, verse 12 through 17, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been put into prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, Beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And it goes on to say that from there, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. God comes to those who are suffering. The story of Christmas is that God moves into the place of suffering to be with his people. We call God Emmanuel. God is with us in the midst of what we are experiencing. For people that are living in darkness, they have seen a great light. We're able to rejoice in our weariness because God is with us. There's something going on here where this groundswell of people who have experienced suffering and the weight of, of, of this human experience, the, weight of the weariness of life, Jesus shows up. He moves into their story. Isaiah 9 goes on to say, For the yoke of his burden, for the staff of his shoulder, for the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Talks about this this breaking of this burden, this setting free from the oppressor, and then about this day of Midian. This is one of those details I would often just read over and think, oh, there's probably a backstory there. I'd love to read about that at some point. Our men's group that meets on Friday mornings has been reading through the book of Judges, and we got to the story of Gideon, and this story where Gideon, uh, the the people of Israel are are fighting with the Midianites, and they're scared, and they're oppressed, and they are starting to mount their army for this battle. They have 32,000 people, and God keeps whittling down the army to about 300, and they go and they attack the Midianites with those 300, the Midianites scatter, it's this chaos, they end up winning this huge battle, conquering the Midianites, freeing themselves from the oppressors. 
And, and the, as, you, as you see how God puts together the plan for this battle, he, he takes this group of people that are mighty and powerful and he keeps whittling them down so that God would get the glory for freeing his people. It wasn't based on the might of the Israelites, but it was based on God's provision. You have broken as on the day of Midian. The second reason we, we know we're able to rejoice is that God will act in greater ways than he did the, in the past. And for Isaiah, he's pointing Israel back to this time in their history where God delivers them. And as they look forward with anticipation to what God is doing, they're saying, remember what God has done in the past. In Jesus, something greater is going to happen. God will act in greater ways than he did in the past. This Christian hope that we have, Advent, this event, this person that we look forward to. Fleming Rutledge wrote this book called Advent, The Once and Future Coming of Jesus. As we anticipate God working in the midst of our suffering, I love that idea, the once and future coming of Jesus. For, for, for Isaiah, looking forward to this this greater king that was coming into the world that was going to, to free people, not just from a physical oppression, but this oppression of, of sin, the spiritual realm. For us, we look back at that moment to see Jesus coming into the world, bringing hope, but also the fact that Jesus will come back, the once and future coming of Jesus. God will act in greater ways than he did in the past. We look back and have confidence because of how God has acted throughout history and what he has done in our life and look forward to even more of God's victory. Isaiah 9 goes on to say, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. You first read that and you think, you know, what, what is this talking about? A child coming into the world? I, if you're a Star Wars fan, like this might be a new hope, right? Like there's, there's new hope here. Some of the early readers of this passage may have thought this was Hezekiah, the boy king that was being born into the world. But then it says, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those are no longer just human titles for a king. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Just a reminder that in the midst of our weariness, we can rejoice because even our present circumstances that we don't understand, God works mysteriously and unexpectedly. And the story of Christmas is God working mysteriously and unexpectedly in the world. When God comes into the world in the form of Jesus, he comes as a baby. He's not born into a senator's family. He's not born into Caesar's family. He's born into this peasant family, the corner of the empire, and this impoverished area that has been oppressed by foreign powers. God works mysteriously and unexpectedly. Ray Ortland Jr., commentating on this passage, talks about how God is working mysteriously. He says, God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is a child. The power of God is so far superior to the Assyrians and all the big shots of this world that he can defeat them by coming as a mere child. His answer to the bullies swaggering through history is not to become an even bigger bully. His answer is Jesus. Look at Jesus. As the wonderful counselor, he has the best ideas and strategies. Let's follow him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. Let's hide behind him. 
As the everlasting Father, he loves us endlessly. Let's enjoy him. And as the Prince of Peace, he reconciles us while we were still his enemies. Let's welcome his dominion. For us, God is at work. We rejoice in the midst of our weariness. God comes to those who are suffering. He moves into their story. He walks with them. God is with us. In the midst of everything that is happening this year in 2020, God acts and he's going to act even in greater ways than he has done in the past as we look forward to this hope where, where the future is going, that we know that the sovereign God has won this victory. We look forward to the, to the, the future coming of Jesus. God works mysteriously and unexpectedly in the midst of everything that has happened this year, how confusing and uncertain and oftentimes it feels unfair what has happened this year. God is at work. Rutledge goes on to say in this book, The Once and Future Coming of Jesus, that Advent is rife with dark, gritty realities. I feel like that's true this year. This year is rife with dark, gritty realities. It is a time of rich parodies, but ultimately a celebration. In our weariness, we can rejoice for the once and future coming of Jesus. Today starts this Advent series, this Advent season, where we head towards Christmas with expectation. In the midst of our weariness, there's this rejoicing because of the future. This rejoicing because God is on the move and he's at work. Today, as we close with some time of reflection and we think of these words from Isaiah, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas this year, maybe we just need to open up space in the midst of the crazy season we're in, 2020, to say, Lord, we want to open up space just to receive what you have for us right now. In the midst of our weariness, Lord, we rejoice because of your promises, because we know that you're at work. We just want to be available to that work as we head towards Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your love for us. That in the midst of great suffering, you move into our story. You don't just pull us out of our suffering, Lord, but you walk with us through it. You make it redemptive. Lord, we have seen how you have worked in the past throughout history. We have experienced it in our own life in different ways your faithfulness and even times when we don't deserve it. We anticipate your work in our lives as we move into the future. And Lord, we know that your work is so mysterious and it's so unexpected in all the different ways that we have put you into a box or think that you should be at work or think that you work by the ways of the world. We're reminded of this mystery of the incarnation, of this mystery of Christmas, that you do things that are so unexpected. You came into this world as a baby, vulnerable. You invite us to this story, Lord, not overpowering us, Lord, but inviting us into this love. And Lord, many of us are weary 
And with everything that's going on, it's hard to rejoice. But especially this year, Lord, let us be reminded of the hope that we have in you, the hope that we celebrate every year at Christmas time. That we would rejoice for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.